1: the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today,
2: Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American,
1: international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com.
3: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn.
4: Hello, this is Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd on Heritage Radio Network. Today, I'm interviewing author Shelley Westerhausen, who wrote Vegetarian Heartland, Recipes for Life's Adventures. Welcome, Shelley.
2: Hi, thanks so much for having
4: me. Oh, you're very welcome. So, uh, your book is very interesting. It's very beautiful, too. It's got great Thank you. pictures of food. And um, so I understand you first started a vegetarian blog?
2: I did, yeah. So about seven years ago, I started a vegetarian blog just to kind of document um, becoming a vegetarian and the world of vegetarian and kind of like the sales and the things that worked. And then from there... I just started photographing and writing about food.
4: Mm-hmm. Now, did you mean to do that? I mean, did it start as a hobby and turned into a job? Or what did you major in at college? What? What? How did it happen?
2: So it definitely started out as a hobby. I started in college... Um, I've always kept journals and diaries ever since I was a little kid, mm-hmm. so it kind of just felt natural to transfer to blogs uh, once, you know, that kind of world was created, mm-hmm. and then in- College, I studied art management and yeah. art administration. Okay. So it's kind of loosely tied. That's kind of where I got the business bug side of it. But I had mostly started it as a way to just keep journaling online and just write about food, and then it just kind of got bigger and bigger.
4: Okay. Now you also do a magazine called Driftless. What's that about?
2: Yeah. So Driftless is a lifestyle magazine all about the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and my friend. We and started it a few years ago. We kind of, it kind of just came about because we kind of felt like the Midwest was getting overshadowed a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really great stuff, you know, happening all over, but a lot of the press is for the West Coast and the East Coast, the big cities, and we kind of felt like we had a really a lot of cool stuff going on here, and we wanted to showcase it. Mm-hmm.
4: Now, are there edibles, uh, the edible magazine, in in the Midwest?
2: There are, yeah, but they're and they're great. They're really great. We don't personally have one in my city, mm-hmm. um, but we kind of wanted to do something a little bit more modern that targeted a younger audience. There's mm-hmm. not really a really good, like we have Midwest Living, but we don't have a good magazine for the 20-something-year-olds mm-hmm. and, you know, the younger generation. So we kind of wanted to start something that kind of felt more like a kinfolk for the Midwest.
4: Okay, and and it looks quite beautiful also.
2: Thank you. Yeah, she, Leah is a photographer, as am I. So we, uh, so we both were very particular about the aesthetic and the photography in it.
4: hmm mm-hmm. Now, when you were doing art management in college, what were you planning on it being? Photography, art management.
2: Uh, I was not. I kind of just got the photography bug with the blog, just because I was photographing the recipes to go with the blog and. I just really ended up liking that aspect of it. When I was doing, um, in college, I was actually looking at the music end of it. So I wanted to maybe work for a music label or, oh. you know, a venue or something like that. And then I kind of got the food bug and the photography bug. So I went in that direction.
4: Okay, I understand. Now, did uh, when did the idea come up for turning it into a book?
2: So I had been doing the magazine pie for a year or two. And that was when my agent came to me, and she just loved my aesthetic. And I had just been working with, like, Bon Appetit and Food & Wine, so I was kind of getting a couple of good plugs. And Mm -hmm. she, you know, she said that she loved my vibe, and she loved, like, the Midwest angle. So she was curious if I ever would want to unite the two, because I was doing the magazine, and then I was doing the blog, and she kind of wanted to see... A mix of the two, and I really loved the idea, so we just ran with
4: it. Mm-hmm. So your publisher came to you. That's always great, right?
2: Uh, well, actually, my agent came oh, to okay. me, and then okay. she helped me write the proposal, and then she pitched it to publishers.
4: Oh, okay. Okay, so that's good. Um, now, did you know right away the book would be as gorgeous as it is, have as many fo- photographs? Was that the the idea from the start?
2: So I definitely wanted it to be photography heavy just because I, I love photography and I love mm-hmm. that aspect of it. Um, and I really wanted to showcase the Midwest, so I wanted it to be more than just food photos. I wanted it to be something that someone opens up and, and is like, I want to see the Great Lakes. I want to visit this place. So mm-hmm. I did definitely know I wanted it to be a big mix between the two, which is one of the reasons it took three years to write, because <laughs> I wanted to make sure I was capturing all four seasons and that mm-hmm. I was going to as many mm-hmm. different areas in the Midwest as I could.
4: Well, that was one of my next questions. How long did it take you to write and work on the book?
2: Yeah, it took three years from start to finish, but that did include that was from when I got my agent to when it came out. So that included pitching it and getting a publisher and then writing it, and then mm-hmm. the photographs took a long time, mm-hmm. obviously, and then the time that the publisher spent with it for designing and things like that.
4: Mm-hmm. How long between when you put it to bed and it came out?
2: It was probably about a year. Oh, that for must them be to tough. Do all of that, that must yeah. be tough
4: while you're waiting.
2: Yeah, it is, and it's and it's been a little bit of a learning experience, just because for me, I'm used to my blog. So I make something, and then I put it into the world. Right. And this I made it, and then I sat on it for a year, and right? Really talk about it or anything? <laughs> right.
4: Well, now were you allowed to say my book's coming
2: out? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. But Mm -hmm. as someone who's always growing, I'm always, you know, kind of on to the next thing. And then to be like, wanting to like share this now and tell everyone about it, it was, it was just a little bit of a challenge.
4: Yeah, just twiddling your thumbs. Yeah. So now how did you select the recipes? Uh, Were they already on your blog? Were they your personal favorites? You know, did you get help selecting them?
2: Um so for the recipes I would say probably about 90% of them are new there were I think only like maybe 3 or 4 that were the most popular recipes on my blog that I then kind of tweaked a little and put in here just because I knew that people love those recipes mm-hmm. but for the most part they were all new I basically mm. I try to take a lot of like family recipes and which are all have meat in them, of course, and mm-hmm. then try to make them vegetarian mm-hmm. and just kind of think of the food that I grew up with and, and things that kind of had a little bit of a Midwest connection, even, you know, if it's because we had a, we had a big Polish community mm-hmm. where I grew up or if it's just because it's a corn recipe because we grow a ton of corn here or just mm-hmm. some sort of connection in some mm-hmm. way to the heartland.
4: Okay. Is there a higher standard... Uh, for testing recipes for books versus blogs, do, or do you know?
2: Uh, so I've heard I've heard all sorts of stories about different ways people do it. Mm-hmm. I personally did do a ton of testing because I was terrified of getting like one of those Amazon reviews that were like <laughs> these recipes didn't work or right, something right, like that. Right. You know, she left out just- an important ingredient. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Because with the blog, you can go back and edit it. But when it's in print, it's in print. Yeah. So for the blog, I usually only make the recipe um, maybe twice, unless it's a recipe. I really, you know, it's been a family recipe. Mm -hmm. But for the book, I try to make every recipe at least three to five times, oftentimes more. Mm. And then I had at least other people also try out the recipe. Yeah, I would think sure it it's works for them.
4: important to have other people do it because they may you may know certain things that you don't realize aren't communicated in the recipe.
2: Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Things that I think that Everyone would think to do, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be thinking to do that, or right. maybe my wording was weird and it came across completely different than how I visualized it, or maybe I forgot to put that part in there. You right,
4: know? right, right. Did you find any errors? Did you have to make a lot of changes?
2: It, you know, it varied a lot. I definitely, the recipes that were family recipes or recipes I have made over the years definitely uh, kind of held out better. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, a lot of things, a lot of things that worked pretty well, if I remember correctly, just because I had tried them so many times. I mm-hmm. think a big thing was a lot of people were like, well, I think that the oven should have been a little hot. Things that were just, you know, different people have different kitchens. Things right. that you can't really right. control. Right. Right. Um, which you know, I I really appreciate the recipe tester being thorough, but also there's only so much you can do at right, that point. Right.
4: Right. Now you have an interesting concept of the adventures. What made you use that concept, and can you explain it a bit?
2: So the so there's a lot. Of, I put a lot of themes in the book. I think that show like my indecisiveness shows very well in this book because <laughs> of all the things going on. Um, but so one of the themes is. Kind of adventure, so it's it's split up into spring, summer, fall, winter, and then those are split up into chapter adventure chapters. So there's a picnic chapter, a berry mm-hmm. picking chapter, camping, and I did that because uh, it feels kind of like a lot of times people struggle unless you're really really into food, like I am. But a lot of people I know, normal people, struggle cooking often because it just feels like a chore to them because they're busy people Mm -hmm. are so busy Mm -hmm. these days
5: yeah
2: and i wanted and i didn't want my my recipes to feel like a chore in Mm -hmm. any way Mm
5: -hmm.
2: so i so i wanted them to feel kind of like an adventure every time you step into the kitchen Mm -hmm. it's a new experience and so I made these experiences around the recipes in hopes that people are going to enjoy the entire experience, that they're going to go in their kitchen and make these, and then maybe they're going to enjoy it outside on a blanket, or maybe they're going to, you know, go camping this weekend and plan a menu around mm-hmm, it and mm-hmm. just kind of make it a little bit more fun.
4: Right. Make it also share it and make it more festive.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. How often do you cook dinner?
2: So that's a good that's a good question. <laughs> uh, I I try to cook dinner um, three to four times a week, and then we always go out, go out on Fridays. And then it's always like it could be up in the air for the weekend, depending on what we have going on. Mm-hmm.
5: Um,
2: so I do try to cook dinner a lot, and then lunches are a little bit more based on how crazy the day is.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And now when
4: you go out. Uh from your book, I understand there aren't as many vegetarian restaurants or options as there are probably in New York. Do you have to scrutinize the menu before you select a restaurant?
2: Yes, definitely. Um, that is something that I feel like I come off as a little bit high strung because I always <laughs> check a menu before I go there. But for. I'm located in a university city, so mm-hmm. it's pretty we have a pretty good range here. Uh, we have a ton of ethnic food international cuisine, which really helps because there's a lot of vegetarian options. but as soon as you get out of the major cities in the Midwest, it can be really hard mm-hmm. to find something on your menu. Mm-hmm. so I always encourage people to look it up beforehand or you know if you're outgoing, don't be afraid to ask either mm-hmm. if, you're, if you' if if you go wherever, but then just make sure you just you just ask. Because mm-hmm. I've never had someone turn me down or not right. be able to make something work.
4: Right, right. Well, there's always grilled cheese and there's always macaroni and cheese.
2: Exactly. There's always something in the – like a quesadilla. You could make right. – there's got to be something back there that they can right. make or
4: pasta. <laughs> right, 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 without meat sauce. So yeah. um, what was the hardest part of writing this book?
2: Oh, man. The hardest part of writing this book was just being – author for the first time like Mm -hmm. there were so many elements of it i didn't think about going into it like parts that took you know some parts went by really fast and some Mm -hmm. parts just took way longer than i thought um since i was doing it all since i was doing uh, and i was doing the writing and the photography Mm -hmm. and the developing and all that stuff Mm -hmm. i just kind of had to pace myself so Mm -hmm. you know i'm used to doing a project where i just dive in do it for a week and then submit it. So, you know, this took two years. (laughs) So it was kind of just learning to pace myself and Mm -hmm. just be willing to go with the flow. Mm -hmm.
4: Uh, Would you you switch around tasks? Would you do some recipe development, then photography, and then do a little writing, you know, the, the blurbs that you have at the beginning of the chapters?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I basically I tried to. So I didn't want to get burnt out. I basically tried to do at least a recipe a day and do whatever I was feeling that I still needed to knock out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I would just try to go recipe shopping every day and try mm-hmm. out a new recipe, mm-hmm. and then and then as soon as I'd finish it, I would type it up you know or edit it anything mm-hmm. that I wanted to change and then after I finished a full chapter I would go back and try and write the head notes for mm-hmm. it.
4: Now does that mean you would have that recipe for dinner or dessert?
2: I would. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so you were so, eating
4: your own your own just, work. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and oh I fed so many of my neighbors and so many friends when I was making this book. It was I had people like on speed dial that I was just like, I just made three pies, do you wanna come over? And they knew.
4: <laughs> you must have been very popular then.
2: <laughs> I was, yeah. Which I think I think helped me sell some books in the end because everyone loves to point to that recipe that I made them and be right. like, Oh, this was so great.
4: Right. Now what was the most fun part of writing the book?
2: Oh, so I think the most fun was definitely the photography. It's, mm-hmm. it's just my favorite aspect. I loved just traveling and trying to get, you know, take photos of new places that people maybe wouldn't associate with the Midwest,
4: and, mm-hmm.
2: and then also taking that food to those places. And I just love the photography aspect of mm-hmm.
4: it. Yeah, because you have a mix of, there's food photos, but there's also a lot of uh, Midwest nature photos,
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot of people, I don't know, when I meet people on the coast, uh, a lot of people just think of us, you know, as cornfields and stuff like that. So I wanted to make sure to get some beautiful shots of our huge lakes and our Mm -hmm. forests and just kind of incorporate everything.
4: Mm -hmm. Now, what kind of help did you have writing the book?
2: So for the book, um, so I did hire uh, recipe testers, which I just mentioned, and okay. I had a. Cu- there's a couple illustrations in the book. I did not do the illustrations. Okay. Um, and then my publisher. And obviously I worked with my publisher And I had a really great team over there I had an mm. editor over there I had an assistant editor I worked with And then I had a designer that did the entire layout for mm. it okay. And um, and she got all the specs together And everything like that So, And right now I'm working with uh, a PR team over there And there's three more women that I'm working with So mm. it's like I'm kind of getting all the attention But really there was like a team of ten of us Working on oh, okay. the
4: book okay. What <laughs> help do you wish you had? What What would you do differently If you wrote another Similar book
2: I think that You know It's just a lot of Trial and error I think that Oh man I think that Just like If I was to do it now I could probably do it In half the time Because Mm -hmm. I have I have a system down Right Because you've learned how Um, Yeah I learned so much From the first time around Mm -hmm. I'm not sure What help I would want So I think
4: So you're an Independent entity You're (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you do I, everything. I'm
2: definitely a little bit of a control freak. So it's very, I like having that control so then I can know every aspect is exactly how I want. Right, I
4: because, I mean, I think food photo shoots sometimes uh, probably ruin the food. Did you spray your food or do anything weird to it?
2: No, I did not. Mm-hmm. Um I mean every once in a while I would spray some water to, you know, freshen up right. the produce, but I don't right. I don't put any of that glue or you right. know anything right. Right. That any other weird on stuff, right? Right. Yeah. Will there
4: be another and will it be a recipe book?
2: Will there will there be another one? would
4: Another book and will it be a recipe book? What do you think?
2: Oh. Oh. Uh so I have been working on a second book and it is going to be a recipe book. Oh
4: okay, vegetarian I presume? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you'll have to keep us guessing. Now it's time for our break. We will be back with Shelley uh, in a moment, discussing vegetarian heartland. <laughs>
1: Today's program is brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, period. Why? Lush grasslands, glacial water supply, fourth-generation cheesemakers, combining old-world tradition with the new ideas and highest standards. The very best milk. What do you think of when you think of Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh cheese curds. Or deep-fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese Company. The operation behind the Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese that's literally America's most awarded cheese. I think of the deliciously stinky Limburger and its long-storied history. I think about Raleigh's Dumbarton Blue, a perfect blend of English-style cheddar and notes of blue. I think of Emmy Roth's Grand Cru schwa which was named 2016's World Champion at the World Championship Cheese Contest. Wisconsin is like the world champion of cheese, and once you start reading the list of cheeses made in Wisconsin on their website, you can see why. The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is a nonprofit organization funded entirely by Wisconsin's dairy farm families. Read more at eatwisconsincheese.com. And as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, eat Wisconsin cheese. It's a no-brainer.
0: Hi, my name's Katie Kiefer. I'm the host
4: of What Doesn't Kill You on the Heritage Radio Network. I do a show about politics and policy around food, food and agriculture. You know, what feeds us. Tune in on Mondays at 12 p.m. to hear about about politics, food policy, agriculture,
0: cattle disasters, you name it. I cover it. Basically whatever interests me, I'm going to bring to you. Support my show and all of Heritage Radio Network's programming. You can go to the Heritage Radio Network.org and click on the beating heart to become a member
4: today. Show us some love, especially me. I need it. Hi, it's Diane Stemple back with Shelley Westerhausen talking about recipes from the Vegetarian Heartland. So, hi, Shelly, we're back. Hey, welcome back. <laughs> did you hear we were advertising Wisconsin uh, cheese during the break? Yes, I did. Yeah, yes, nice did. <laughs> Midwestern plug. They're a very big yes. sponsor for uh, Cutting the Curd. Anyway, on page 15, very early on, you give guidelines for creating a vegetarian meal uh generally you know a starch base vegetables proteins spice flavoring i would love more of that actually because it sounded easier
2: yeah so yeah i want so the thing is is i want vegetarian cuisine to feel approachable for people Mm -hmm. so a lot of these are you know you can break it down to really simple meals if that's what you want Mm -hmm. um yeah so in that section i talk about how you know if you want to create a really easy meal all you have to do is choose a base such Mm -hmm. as grains pasta, quinoa or bread Right, right and then you can top it with a vegetable uh i mean you could maybe skip the vegetable if you want but that's my favorite part and <laughs> you know there's so much you can do with vegetables you yeah. can steam them you yeah. can roast them you can boil them and then uh, i always add a protein just so you're not hungry an hour later so that mm-hmm. can be, you know beans eggs um tofu if you're into that mm-hmm. and then um and then the rest is kind of like choose your own adventure so right. i i love right. to throw you know some sort of, you could throw some sort of dressing or sauce or Mm -hmm. herbs or whatever. I mean, honestly, you could just probably find whatever's in your fridge that you are really attracted to, pickles, anything like that, and top Mm -hmm. it and uh, just, you know, use your own instincts with what flavor combinations are going to work for what you like.
4: Yeah. I mean, I think vegetables have gotten, I mean, at least with me and with many food people that I eat with, have just gotten more and more popular. Maybe not to the exclusion of meat but they are you know they're they're given much more attention than they ever were before
2: Yeah I I agree um I yeah when I first became a vegetarian I feel like the vegetable scene was very bland yeah. very basic yeah. and there's chefs that are just doing the most creative gorgeous, delicious things with vegetables these days.
4: Yeah, yeah. Now, which recipes in the book do you cook the most for guests or for dinner?
2: So for dinner, uh, one of my favorite is the vegan sloppy Joes, just mm-hmm. because it can be whipped up in under a half an hour and it's super filling.
4: Okay. Um, so that would be with most, beans?
2: Yeah. So okay. I, it's with beans, and then I throw a ton of vegetables in there, celery, carrots, Bell peppers, onions, mm-hmm. and you kind of mix it all. You make a sauce and you mix it all together, and then you put it on, you know, a bun, uh, some mm-hmm. bread of some sort. And then I always put sweet and spicy pickles on it, and it's just mm. great. It's,
5: mm-hmm.
2: I love it. It's and it's so simple and it's kind of comforting. Um, and then if I'm having a lot of people over, I, I oftentimes make, which is also bean based, is my chocolate chili, which is oh, everyone yes. always raves about. Yes, and then that maybe made I'll make some homemade bread if I
4: have time. Mm-hmm. Okay, now um, which of the recipes do you recommend for non vegetarians to try out first?
2: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so I think that well, I think that the sloppy joes would be a really great introduction, just mm-hmm. because most people are really familiar with uh, with beans. So mm-hmm. I think they would like okay. it. Another really great one is the spicy peanut lettuce wraps. Um, I think a lot of people have probably had lettuce wraps before, and there's mm-hmm. this peanut and the peanut sauce is protein-packed. So mm, okay. I think that would be a really great uh, introduction for someone. Okay. Now, how do
4: you feel vegetarianism is different in the Midwest, either back when you started or developing forward?
2: So, so I think it's a little bit different here in the aspect that since we we have all four seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, we we kind of have a lot of cozy food. So, for example, out on the West Coast, you know, there's a lot of healthier vegetarian places and, uh, like, juice bars and things like that. And the juice bar just really wouldn't do that great here in the winter, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and on the East Coast, I mean, there's definitely a vegetarian scene there. But I feel like there's a really big, uh, like like we were talking about, fancier vegetarian scene with a lot of chefs just doing crazy, beautiful things with vegetables. Mm-hmm. And here... You know, I think we're a little bit more humble with our food, and Mm -hmm. so it's a lot of cozy, like, you know, like I just talked about, like Mm chilies and uh, Sloppy Joe's and, you know, um, just like veggie burgers and kind of more cozy food that you associate.
4: Right. That you might not
2: necessarily associate with vegetarian.
4: Right, right. Now, you're a big proponent of the Midwest and especially Bloomington.
2: I am, yes. I, I mean, How I love, come? What do you love years, about it? So I love it here. What
4: do you love about it?
2: So what I love about Bloomington is, it's like I mentioned earlier, it's a university city. So we have a huge food scene without it being a really big city. So there's mm. only 40,000 residents and then there's 40,000 students. Oh, but it doubles. <laughs> yeah. Because of the university, though, we have a lot of professors and we have a lot of international people. So we have... Just really amazing restaurants, uh, which I really love. And then we're also in the middle of we're basically a city in the middle of Hoosier National Forest, so it's a a giant forest, and we've got a huge lake here. So there's so much like nature and hiking and a lot of outdoor activities as well.
4: Mm -hmm. And And then and a farmers market
2: and the farmers market. Yeah, we have we have the biggest farmers market in the state here Mm -hmm. on Saturday mornings, Mm -hmm. um, which. I just you know, I love. It's it's the really great food community here.
4: It doesn't does it go all year or does it stop for months in the winter?
2: It does go all year. It's outside in the summer and then they move it to an indoor location in the winter.
4: Okay. Okay, well that's good. Now one part of your book made me um a little insulted when you oh, no. when you said you um you criticized church basement potlucks because I, I, uh, my father's family was from West Virginia and we, when we had funerals, we had potlucks in the church basement and Mm -hmm. they were the most amazing food. (laughs) What was some of your favorite food that you remember from those? Oh, there'd be, well, there'd be bean dish, beans, 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 all baked, (laughs) all baked You know, for two days, probably with some ham thrown in. I can't, I can't lie, but every bean dish tasted different. And, and then there would be macaroni and cheese and there'd be casseroles and there'd be, I mean, there'd be those weird, um, uh, fried onions on top of a green bean casserole, but it would be Mm -hmm. delicious. (laughs) It would would be thoroughly delicious. <laughs> so we would. I think that. Oh God. We would just be, you know, racing through the funeral to get to the food. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is something nice to look forward to. Yeah. Um, I think for me, I wasn't. I wasn't in any way trying to uh, talk bad about those. But I kind <laughs> okay. of also was trying. I'm trying to give more of a modern look on the Midwest, just because sometimes I do think we look. Some people think of us as kind of, you know, like older, antique we just eat casseroles with, you know, mm-hmm. tater tots on top right, and things like right, that, right. and I kind of wanted to try right. and showcase a little bit of a, um, you know, a little more modern Midwest. Right, and no one was, no in.
4: one's thinking health in the church basement potluck.
2: Exactly,
4: yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, then another thing you talk about is you say you're worried that the Midwest has some self-esteem issues. What What are you referring to?
2: Yeah, so when um when I graduated from college, a lot of a lot of my friends, almost all of my friends, mm-hmm. but my boyfriend who stayed here with me moved to New York or LA or mm-hmm. Portland. Mm-hmm. And uh we kind of did that trip where after we graduated, we weren't really sure what we wanted to do. So we went to visit all those cities to kind of see where we were going to settle. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of kept feeling a pull towards here. And, you know, after talking to a couple of friends, a lot of them came back, ended up coming back here after a couple of years and realizing this is where they needed to be. But there was always just kind of this pressure when we were, you know, in school and young that we needed to, to think you know, about move to leaving. the coast or mm-hmm. move to a big city mm-hmm. in order to be taken seriously as an artist or mm-hmm. a writer. And mm-hmm. I kind of feel like sometimes, you know, people are feeling that pressure when really we have a lot of great things going on here and a really mm-hmm. great scene that you just kind of have to appreciate. Mm-hmm. And can maybe even move away to really notice it.
4: And I would assume much more affordable.
2: Yes. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Now is the
4: is the um video on your website in your house? Uh yes, it is. It's yeah. a gorgeous house. <laughs> Thank you. And I love your kitchen closet. Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I um, recommend that everyone check out. Uh, what's the name of your website? Vegetarian Ventures. Dot com. Yep. Yeah, and and it has you cooking and then uh, photo- uh, taking photos of of a meal, right?
2: Yep. Yeah, exactly.
4: And it's very, it's, it's very sweet. It's very sweet. And Thank I love you. your house. I'm coming over next time <laughs> I'm, I'm in Indiana. <laughs> anyway, was it a suburb or a small town that you grew up in that was a train ride away from Chicago?
2: So it depends on who you ask. Okay. So <laughs> I, I grew up in um, Indiana, which is, but was it was only about an hour from Chicago. Okay. So if you ask someone who lives in Chicago, they're going to tell you it's not. But we a lot of people in my in my town did work in Chicago, and there was a train that went up there. So we always kind of considered it a suburb.
4: Okay, so then Bloomington is more of a town. I mean, less. Is it more small town or more? It's not a suburb, right?
2: No, Bloomington is not a suburb. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of a yeah. It's more of a small city. I would mm-hmm. I would consider it a small city.
4: Mm-hmm. So you got more out of the way not less.
2: I did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I did, but we're kind of in this little, you know, in a bubble, in a liberal where we're, where in we're a liberal at, right? bubble.
4: Are you in a are you in a liberal bubble?
2: I am. Yeah. Oh, oh well, that's exactly. good. We we love our little bubble. <laughs>
4: <laughs> now, you turned vegetarian, how old were you?
2: Uh, so I was 12 when I became a vegetarian. Now, um, why? So, you know, I was just a really stubborn kid, I think, mm-hmm. and I was, I was, you know, kind of awkward, and I wanted to be a vet back then, and mm-hmm. my best friend was my dog, mm-hmm. so I just really felt really bad, because I loved animals, and I just felt really bad um, about eating them, so I just kind of decided one day that I wasn't going to do it anymore, and my parents were totally confused, like I, annoyed,
5: didn't I'm know what sure. to do with
2: me. Now, did you discuss it. it
4: with them, or was anyone else a vegetarian? Had you met one?
2: So I hadn't met one, I don't think, but I was really, and this uh, this might be showing my age, but I was really into The Simpsons back then okay. uh, as a kid, and Lisa Simpson, the daughter on it, was a vegetarian. So I think maybe, and oh. I don't remember. but I feel like maybe oh she could I have got, been
4: she could have been a role model.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. And I was just such a stubborn kid that, of course, my brother was like, "You're not going to do it. You're you know." And uh, so then I just then you really had to it.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, how supportive were your parents? <laughs>
2: So my dad was definitely frustrated. He, I mean, we lived between a farm and he had a cow in a freezer from down the street, the <laughs> farmer down the street. And he was very annoyed that I, you know, that Stopped my eating stepmom it. had to make, <laughs> yeah, he was, he was annoyed that my stepmom would have to make another meal for me and things mm-hmm. like that. But mm-hmm. my mom, and my, but my mom was really supportive, but she definitely was just like scared about me getting enough nutrition and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Mm-hmm. And. All of her friends were like, don't worry, she'll grow out of it. She'll get sick of peanut butter, and it never happened. <laughs> no, you
4: just made it a career. <laughs> exactly, yeah. You expanded. Instead of uh, instead of getting sick of stuff, you found better and better food to eat.
2: Exactly, yes. It opened <laughs> up a whole new world for me. Now, do you
4: cook for your parents? Do they now love your food?
2: They do, yeah. Um, I hosted Thanksgiving a couple last year and mm-hmm. that was the first time I had done like a big meal for them and they were really supportive. And I, and I had a launch party for the book and I actually made all vegan food. So I did vegan recipes for the book, which is not vegan. It's, it's just vegetarian. Right. But my, my family, you know, kind of the whole time while they were helping me make them, were just like, is this really vegan? Mm -hmm. Is this really this good? And so they they were really proud of me. It was really nice. But after all these years, they finally come around. Oh, okay. Now, how
4: many whole families, does anyone, I mean, you may not know the answer to this. Is there an answer? How many whole families are vegetarian, I wonder, in America?
2: You know, that's a really good question, because whenever... I meet someone who's vegetarian, the first thing I asked was, you know, if they've been it for a long time, I always ask, you know, were your parents vegetarian? And I feel like I never, ever get that your their parents yeah. are vegetarian. Yeah.
4: So, but, but I feel yeah. like your generation is more likely to be vegetarian and then just cook that way. And that your kids yeah. will be vegetarian if you have them. Because that's what's being offered.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I think that my generation really has so much accessible to us that you know others didn't with the internet. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. before the internet, where did you get your recipes? You got it from your family. Like, right. if they're not eating vegetarian, you're not going to know about it.
4: That's true. That's true. Well, it's been very delightful to talk with you on the radio. I wish you luck with your book and your sales and your you know vegetarianism, and uh, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Okay, this is Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd on heritageradionetwork.org. You should join the radio station. As soon as you hear this, get online and call them up. Thanks. Bye. We'll see you soon.